Those who have laid eyes on a Gundam shall not live to tell about it. Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of If You Know You Know. I have no clue what episode number I'm on, and that's okay. Um, partnered here with Huddle In, the collab crew. Um, we are, well, Huddle In is, I should say, uh, a social media platform that uses Web3 tech um, to have every post on the social media actually be an NFT. Um, feel free to hop over to Huddle In, H-U-D-D-L-N um in the app store to go get it um i've got jessica today um jessica at first i appreciate you coming i know this was super short notice um i wanted to have you later but i think jared uh spun the block and did um some research on you um but research aside the way that i normally start these episodes off is always with the same question um What's uh, what's been on your mind lately? That's the question. For me, oh, I feel like that is not a good question to be asking me right That's now. That's the best question. <laughs> That's the best question. Because I have so much to say. Um, well, which one should I pick? Hmm. Um, well, as I mentioned, I was just going through a, a pretty big transition. Um, moving from another home to another home. I was at the last place for 15 years. So you can imagine what that's like to move. Um, but I've been kind of thinking a lot lately about in terms of like what's on my mind is drawing boundaries with people um, and sticking to them. And I know that might sound kind of woo woo, but it kind of came into sharp relief recently with some own personal things that I've been going through in my life and in particular in, in this space um, and kind of woke up to the fact that um, I have been on the receiving end of a lot of harassment and just kind of um, not to be uh, pessimistic about things, but just kind of feeling a way about how we, we all came into the space and were like, wag me and, you know, super excited about creating something that doesn't look like what we experience on a day-to-day basis on, in the outside world and um, kind of feeling like that's not what it's looking like now. You know, I'm still facing a lot of the same things that I faced on the outside and so are my friends. And um, so it hasn't felt very good lately. Um, so that's kind of what's been on my mind is that like, inequality, inequity, and um, people talking about generational wealth in the space. And and I'm just, just, I just find myself disagreeing more so now than I do with, than agreeing with people. And um, it kind of breaks my heart, but I'm also really, uh, you know, (laughs) rational, I guess, or logical about the situation, not feeling like, you know, these things can't be fought against or changed, but just realizing, like, I think a lot of people I've had to dip out of a lot of rooms because it's like, they're not, um, they're not awake. I don't know. Like they're not seeing these problems that we can kind of try to get ahead of. And um, yeah. And just feeling like I was saying in in a lot of ways uh, I'm experiencing the same things as a woman 
in the space that I have experienced outside the space. And that makes me feel like, um, w what now? <laughs> where, do, where do we go from here? Like, what's the next frontier of like, actually, you know, moving forward with our, our work and our creativity and our visions and our activism? Like, what, what do we do now? Because here, here we go. Like we're in the same place where there's these people on the top and there's a lot of gatekeeping going on. Um, but not necessarily in the right direction all the times, like, because, you know, I love a little gatekeeping. I do love clubs. I love things on the DL. I love like special things, but not when it's like cutting out the vast majority of the people that have built this space. So that's kind of what's, um, been on, on my mind. You know what's um, funny? Uh, not funny, haha. -ha, funny, interesting. Actually, it's supposed to be both. But um, <clears throat> initially, our guest uh, today was going to be Betty, uh, founder of Dead Fellows, and um, she had tweeted something about like how she goes on all these panels, and everyone's always like, "Oh, what's it like as a woman in Web 3? And um, and it's almost like, "Hey, it's actually not that different." Um, I I don't think you're the only one like facing those sorts of things. I think a lot of people, especially like our quote unquote generation, like if we call it like the clubhouse generation, I guess, like um, I think a lot of people are starting to realize how, how much this is like, has is becoming a repeat of the same systems. And then I think on top of that, for the amount of work that we did foundationally in this space, like this version of the space, um, a lot of us aren't seeing the benefits of that, um, but instead are like um, seeing other random people that we've never heard of or who are friends with the influencers or whatever, be the ones who, uh, who have victories. And so I feel that pain as well. And like, um, not to continue down the like, um, the like minorities path, but it's like the same thing as a black person, you know, like um, I've been chasing a, um, a consulting vibe lately and I'll be like announcing something soon. And like a lot of it too, I remember having an early conversation with someone and I was like, I have all these ideas. None of them work. Uh, it's so crazy, but I know that other people want the ideas and other people, if they did my ideas, it would work. And, and the person I was talking to was like, yeah, you're black. But if you gave this idea to like a white EDM kid, it would be the greatest idea in the space. And um, not to like, you know, I try not to be that like, woe is me black guy, but it's really funny to think about and not funny aha again, but um, it's really interesting to think about. And um, and I'm I'm confident the same as a, as a female in this space. Yeah, I mean, if I could just respond to that, I think there have been a lot of cases where um, because I definitely identify as a feminist, like probably like third wave, fourth wave, like kind of stuck in between those two, feminist. Um, but I've been really turned off by, there's a lot of women in the space that will come in hot into rooms and they'll be like, I hate men, you know? And I'm like, don't, don't do that in my room. You know, like you, I, I don't, I don't align with that and I don't, um, I don't really feel like a, a lot of the ideas that, that I've had, um, I think that they, well, I've actually put this to the test, Dave, because I've given ideas to my white male, like cis white male peers, 
and the ideas fly. So I don't know how easy it would be for me to get those off the ground, you know? So I give it to them if I'm on their team, right? And I let them put it for, forward. But then I have a certain amount of privilege as a woman, as a white woman, and I will use that to my advantage. Like, I'm, like I have this conversation with friends all the time because they're like, you know, F the system, like, we don't care, like, we're going to fight against the system. But I'm like, but there's work that we can do with our privilege within the system. Like, there always needs to be people within the system, like working silently to make change. And we do need the people outside throwing Molotov cocktails. I shouldn't be the person out there throwing the cocktails, right? Because there's other things that I can do to make way and space and opportunity for people on the inside. So when I take those opportunities, I'm going to take them and I'm not going to go on a world tour of like, you know, like virtue signaling, I guess you would say, which we see a lot online. Um, Cause I just don't think that that's helpful. I think just like go out and be about it, do it. Don't, don't even say what you're doing, just like do it. But I have had the experience where I'm just like, I really want this agenda pushed forward. Can you please push it forward for me? Like you're a, a white guy, like people are going to listen to you. They're going to treat me a certain way, but I know my pockets that I can kind of like move in and move things forward, but it's only to a certain degree, right? Because like, women have like their own path that they walk in the space. And like, even especially with me, like I write a fine line because of the type of work I do and the type of, the kind of like background that of work that I make, you know, also it gives me benefits, but it also pigeonholes me and allows people to come at me. Like I, I have people come at me all the time in my DMS. It's like, they would never come in a male founders DMS and like, ask them for things like they're asking me for like so yeah i think um and i don't want to be woe is me because i don't I, I feel like i assert myself but i i do see that these things at play and so it is like it, it's it's a game that you have to figure out how how to navigate and i'm sorry that it is but it's just one that i feel like if we can learn how to master it then we are getting ahead and it's not just like complaining about it like I, I was telling somebody else the other day that, um, you know, somebody said to me, they like, they called me a, it was actually fun. Like I actually laughed at it, but it was really hateful. It was like hate speech. Essentially. Some guy called me, he said, he was like, F you, you commie, Jew, bitch, something, um, dyke. And I was like, well, he's not totally wrong. But um, this stuff exists and people pretend like they're going to come into this space in particular and think that everyone is created equal and we are simply not. And I was on this panel at NFT NYC um, for, uh, uh, I don't know if you, if any, anybody attended it, but it was really cool. They had a lot of panels. It was GM Web 3 times Harmony. And they had some great panels and I was on this, you know, classic women in web three panel. And um, the audience was like really, really big, the talk before us and the talk went over. And it was like, there was a lot of guys on the stage, which I love men by the way. So there's, you know, I, I love humans. And I think that 
it was interesting that it was branded as women in web three. And then everyone like left. We still had an audience there because it was like our friends and our crew. They were all there, but they cut, they also cut our time down. We spoke for 20 minutes. It was five women on the stage and we got 20 minutes. And so I just grabbed for the first subject that, that I thought was important to talk about. And it wasn't like showing my work. It was talking about like the state of the lack of um, like support for women's projects and also the kind of weird stuff that's going on with diversity PFPs, which we don't have to get into, but it was just something that I brought up on stage. Cause I was like, I've got like two minutes to say something. I'm just going to say something that's been on my mind. And everyone was like, <gasps> you know, like, Oh, she said that. It's like, yeah, I did. Um, now I guess we have to get off the stage cause they only gave us a few minutes, but it's like, even look at that. Like that was an IRL situation that could have been a wonderful platform for, um, to give room for women and a diverse panel of women to speak and they cut it short for what, you know, cause they let the other one run over. We'll let the next, let us run over into the next program. What's more, imp- who's more important here, you know? So I think you're seeing the pecking order also play out in everywhere. Like, is it, is it going to change? I don't know, but I mean, there's some wonderful things that I hope we get into on this talk, but you know, this is very real. And these are things that are going on and have been on my mind a lot lately. Yeah. I just wanted to hop in super quick on that. And it's, you know, um, I, I can't really speak from experience either. So like I am a white male and I do have obviously some privileges that come with that, but what is always really confusing to me, and, and this is probably why, I think Dave, I've told you this before, like sometimes I have a hard time getting ahead and even like working to my own advantages because I'm really bad at kissing ass. Like I just fucking terrible at it. Like I base almost everything I do off of merit. And I I struggle because I don't see why other people don't do the same thing. So when you had your story about someone says to you, Oh, well, you're black. Like I know that that's a thing, but it's it's still like nonsense to me and I, I know that me saying it's nonsense doesn't make it any better or or you jessica when you say like oh i was on the you know the token women in web 3 panel like it just feels ridiculous that we have to make that delineation and but at the same time like it, it's also necessary like okay hey look there are it's not just men doing things out here but at the same time, like, why can't we, you know, I, I just don't understand why it can't be more integrated and, and, and merit-based. And I guess, you know, I'm speaking in ideology, but like, uh, that's kind of where I stand on everything. I'm with it. I agree. Um, I don't know why I'm sitting in the rain right now. You know, I like to sit outside during these talks, but it just started raining, so I want to go outside. But um, totally agree. I um, I think, like, this is a great topic to start off on, Jessica. Um, it really can only go up from here, right? Um, but I um, I really just, you know, we all just keep doing our thing. I think if we keep doing our thing, it'll become a thing. I, You know, something that I used to preach a lot in the clubhouse days especially was, like, we really have an opportunity to set culture. And I think just, like, continuing to push forward is really that way um, and continuing to do our best to create the systems that we want to see is really the way. Um, I, I, um, I make lots of jokes. Like I'm, I'm thankfully 
one of those people who doesn't mind like calling people out or calling things by name. I think like sometimes people will call out situations and won't call out names. And I hate that. I think that it's um, not constructive at all. But um, I was I was on a podcast recently. I don't know what podcast I was on, but someone had made a, like a, a Farouk comment. And I was like, everyone says that he teaches them so much stuff, but I've never seen him teach anybody anything about NFTs. And then he laughed and then I laughed. And um, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know where that was going, but I always think that it's funny that people are just like continuing to follow what they think works or what they think is working or who they think they need to follow. And I think there are a lot of people who are creating really great things. And you can really see that frustration, especially from the clubhouse generation who, um, who built a lot of stuff. And I'll, I'm a pause there, but if you guys want to keep it going, we can, but I'm totally down to swap subjects. I'm sure Jared, you might have some questions for Jessica. Um, Jessica is like, um, you know, one of my favorite people in web three in general, favorite people in general, but one of my favorite people that I've met through web three. And so um, we have had many conversations. So if you have anything you want to like, maybe toss at her to get started um, so you can learn more about her. I'm with it. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and dude, like, I have a million questions and Jessica, just to kind of set you up for what this was is, um, you know, we, we were last second. I was like, Dave, let's, let's get somebody dope to talk to. Um, cause plans change. Just what happened. And he's like, well, what about Jessica? And I was like, I'm completely with it. Sounds really cool. He's like, yo, but you need to research. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, no problem. And like, I started diving in. I'm like, shit, I need like a whole week. Jessica, like, yeah, I tried to say Jessica really does it. Like Jessica's like really an artist. Jessica's really about this shit. Like Jessica has books out. Like I tried to, I, I know that like me say, I, cause I probably say that lots of people really, I'm like, I'm probably like, oh yeah, they're really about it. But like, no, they're really about it. And I think this church is on fire in front of me. Um, but yeah, Jessica's really about it. Well, first of all, make sure you say. Oh yeah, is the ra- <laughs> is the rain gonna help that situation? I hope. It's my neighborhood's so weird. So like, um, I live on family land. Um, one thing you need to know about South Carolina that you already know about South Carolina is that obviously lots of slavery happened here, and um, so there's land that like are just all owned by like black families. So I live in one of those neighborhoods. So what happens is. One of the houses in my neighborhood that's like I can see is where like they sell drugs from. But then they sometimes like they like light bonfires and hang out. They just hang out there all night. But this fire is much larger than uh, the bonfire fire that I thought it was at the beginning. So I might I might call somebody. Well, yeah, dude, but keep uh, going, Jared. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I was just gonna say be careful. Oh. <laughs> um but yeah, so like Jessica, there's so many interesting things. Like, so I, I started reading all the articles, um, which, by the way, there are a lot for, for the people in the audience. There's, there are a lot of articles. So, like, there's, she's done a ton of cool work. There's Instagram videos, there's YouTube videos, there's just projects, there's books, multiple books. Like, um, it's, so I guess where I want to start off with, I've had this fascination lately. Um, I say lately, and it's been like months now, but like, I'm just really starting to dive into all things design. Um, it's just, and, and people will say, well, what design? And it's like, yeah, it, it just seems to cross over with everything. It could be web design, it could be graphic design, it could be interior decorating, like 
fashion. Like I, I'm just starting to like gravitate to all these different things. And it's just so interesting to me is because like so much of what we see day to day and the programming people put into you is all based off of design on every level. Um, and I, I do want to say that like, I really appreciated a lot of your design. I know you're, you identify as a photographer. Um, and there's just so much that goes into that, but like even the books that you made, um, they look like they have this, this feel to them, just this touch and the attention to the details is what I appreciate most. So when, I guess I want to start it off with when you're making a physical product, are you the one that is, is cultivating and like curating each aspect of the design or are you more worried about the contents? of like what's in the book or what are or, or of the physical, like, I guess it's, it could vary per product, but um, are, are you like front to back the full design of it? Like how, how does that go? Yeah. So I feel like this is a little bit of chicken and chicken or the egg kind of thing too, because like, you know, if, if you look and you know, you have at a lot of the, the work that I've done, um, I consider myself a multidisciplinary artist, but I guess I identify as an artist. But then what I became popular with was my photography and my film work. So when I think about like that work in particular, um, it depends like who, like what book you're talking about and what uh, medium, right? So in, in terms of the design. So like design is something that's really important to me. Aesthetics is something that has been literally drilled into my head since I was a child. My father is an orthodontist and an oral surgeon. So aesthetics was always something that we talked about at the dinner table, always. And also we talked a lot about beauty, but not beauty like is someone attractive. It was like the beauty of anatomy of, because uh, if you think about like orthodontics, right? Like you're, you're trying to make somebody or you're, you're offering somebody how to, how to have them achieve the best smile for their face, like for their own personal face, not trying to make them look like someone else. And so, I always was like obsessed with, you know, I loved studying like the golden proportions. And then I worked in my dad's practice when I was a kid and I would photograph the patients befores and afters. So, you know, you do like the straight ahead, the three quarter, the three quarter, you know what I mean? Like smile, no smile. And then when I went on, I was always an artist. I was always like painting and drawing since I was a child. And um, I started off at, actually as a painter. And when I was in school and, you know, you study art history, if you're, you know, studying those certain subjects and I was really into Greek and Roman like statues. And then I got into, you know, still life, like Dutch paintings and studied the masters. And I think like that combined with having taken photographs that were essentially like, you know, classical bust portraits that definitely carried into the way that I photographed people later on in life because I didn't really arrive at doing survey photography, if you will, or even like editorial photography until much later on in life. I picked up a camera, but it was like out of a necessity or I used it as a utility to uh, create collage or it was like a means to an end. You know, it was a tool that I used and we have like a, like I, I went to Parsons for my master's and Parsons has a pretty 
amazing photography program. And within our program and on the master side of things, we used to call people that were like obsessed with gear and like their cameras, like photo weenies, like lovingly because they just like loved everything about the camera. But then there was like a bunch of us that we were like artists and we would use cameras to make our art, but we wouldn't consider ourselves like, you know, a national geographic type photographer that like knew the ins and outs of like every camera and knew how to like work it to its limits. Like it wasn't that it was like, I would pick up whatever tool I could to make whatever work I wanted to make. And I always say that the idea dictates the medium in which I'm going to work. So if I feel like it needs to be a painting, if this needs to be a song, if it needs to be a photograph, if it needs to be a film, like I'm just going to use whatever tools I can to make those images. So if you see like there's a through line throughout all of my work and that's why maybe you're picking up that these things feel similar, it's just because it's me making them. So when, but coming back to the design element of it, it just has my hands on it in all of the work. And when I was designing, let's say I Heart Girl is um, the most current photo book that I have out. That book was designed by a girlfriend. And then <clears throat> my partner also, we laid the whole book out. And, you know, there were so many photos with that series, both that series and, and my first book. And, um, it was just like an editing down process. Like, does this feel more aligned like with the collective, uh, you know, body of imagery that's going to go into to this book or does it not? And they all feel like my photos, but then there's one that will just feel like more like my photo than the rest um, and seeing them as a group. And so with the laying out, I had more of a heavy hand in the layout in the second book than I did in the first book. The first book, that was a whole different experience. That was my first publication. It was straight out of school. I had been photographing men, women, um, couples, and uh, very, you know, active in the queer community. And that first book was called I Heart Boy. And with that project, I had that work. I was making that work when I was in graduate school. And when I brought it into critique, um, it was like a mid midway. I don't know how, how would I explain it, but it's like, um, like halfway through the semester, they kind of like check in to see what you're doing, but th it's a committee of people that you're presenting your work to. Like a thesis, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is before the thesis. It's like the mid term kind of, um, you know, examination. And so you bring forth like whatever it is you're working on. So I brought to them, I was doing a lot of performance art performance work and things like that. Like I'm heavily influenced uh, like by Fluxus and like artists like Yoko Ono and um, Carolee Schneeman and Marina Bramovic. So I was doing a lot of like live performative things that were like ephemeral all around the body always. And at the same time on the side or, you know, in tandem, I was taking portraits of the people in my community and the people around me and peers, you know, lovers. And I presented this work too. And it was just straight up photography. You know, it was like survey photography. It was intimate photography. And um, they said, you know, that's not interesting. We don't like this work. They even said it was too commercial, which I thought was funny. And um, it's kind of odd to say that to like a young artist. 
that something is not interesting, right? Because you could easily shut someone down and they'll never make that work again. But something inside that conversation, I just like dismissed what they said. And I said, oh, okay. So what I'm hearing in my mind was, well, they don't want to see it. So they're not my audience. I'm not going to bring this work to them again. I'm going to keep doing my performance work. I even did my thesis work in a photography show. There were no, I didn't show a picture. It was like, uh, and the reason why I'm telling a story is because when I moved, I, I was looking at my thesis work just a few weeks ago and it was just, it was a man I had written a manifesto graduating from an MFA photo and film program. It was just a manifesto that I mounted at the wall on the wall during my thesis exhibition. And then I did like this Felix Gonzalez Torres thing where you can take away a piece of paper, which was a description of how I took the photograph in a live performance. So I was always like pushing the boundaries even when I was in school because um, they wouldn't allow me to do this live performance with this, you know, nude model because it was like against the policies of the blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. So um, kind of like circling back to what I was saying about, you know, being in that crit and them saying like that work's not interesting. Well, I kept making that work because I had a passion for it and also felt like I was, you know, amassing an archive of a time and place, especially, you know, in New York and Brooklyn and things change so rapidly, right, from like decade to decade. So I kept taking those pictures and, you know, making my screen tests and all of that and taking lots of Polaroids. And then I got a meeting with a publisher and this was right out of school. And I brought a box of Polaroids and then I had like a CD or DVD at the time that had all the images, you know, burned onto it. And of the like, you know, medium format, 35 millimeter images. And so we, we all sat down and I opened the box of Polaroids and they just like spread them all out. And they were like, all right, okay, cool. And I was like, okay, what's like, I'm not, I'm not used to being in like business meetings or whatever. And um, they're like, yeah, let's do this. I was like, don't you want to see what's on the CD? And, and he was like, no, no, we could see obviously what's going on here with the Polaroids. Like we, we like the work. We want to make a book together. And I was like, what? So I was very, very excited about this. And also I was so happy that like, I didn't, I didn't uh, waver like with my integrity. I kept making those images. I just immediately identified like, this is not the audience and that's fine. And like no hard feelings with them, but I'm gonna keep making this work and I'm gonna take it elsewhere. You know, that's saying if, if someone's saying, no, you're not talking to the right person. So I talked to the right person and then that became a book. Now, ironically, I'm invited back to my school to talk about this work. Now they celebrate it. So it was uncool to them then. They didn't think it fit. They weren't vibing with it. But I didn't let that stop me from making that work. And um, even at some point, um, there was a lot of professors in that school in particular. Some were very pro me and always supportive of me. And one in particular um, that unfortunately he he has passed. But they they were so like, didn't know what to do with me kind of 
attitude is like, that was the energy that I was getting from some of these professors that they sent me to who was the head of the department at the time named George Pitts. Now, I don't know if anybody knows who George Pitts is, but he was the um, head like art director over at Vibe Magazine way back, like in the beginning. And he's a amazing human. It is like a fucking travesty that he is no longer on this planet. But he was the coolest person. And he was teaching this class at the time called Picturing Sexuality. And I ended up becoming his TA and learned so much from him. And he was also a poet. And so we used to have these like long talks. And then we even lived in the same neighborhood. So we would take the train home. We'd meet up and, you know, I would say hi to his wife and he'd go his way and we'd go, you know, our way. And it was just such a lovely experience of somebody who like really saw what I was trying to build at a very early age and as a young artist. And I wasn't, I wasn't not challenged. He challenged me, but he never discouraged me. And he was really interested in this work that I was making. So had it not been for people like that in my life, I think it would have been a lot harder for me to, um, did what I did and stayed in school because I thought about leaving school. I was like, they don't get it. They don't get what I'm doing. And then now, you know, moving forward, fast forward, um, when I did I Heart Girl 2, people liked the book and it was like good clickbait. It was on, you know, iDevice and all that. But the way people would come at me in public, they'd be like, mm, the girls in this book, they're not particularly like mm, attractive, you know, like, or they would call them dykes or whatever. And I'm like, wow, why would you, how could you say that to someone's face? Like that is, it's, it's so intense. And like now look at the culture. Now it's body positivity. Everybody's showing everything on TikTok. They're like, here I am with no makeup on. And I was like literally punished for doing that like 10 years earlier. And so I feel like, you know, um, I'm, I'm starting to bring this work out now in this space and putting that work on the blockchain and having a, a positive reception, but then having a little bit of pushback from people that are the quote whales and collectors in this space, because I don't think they're ready for that. And I, I don't think that all of our, we know we're, we say we're early and everything in this space is so young. Those followers, fans, supporters, they're just not here yet. I think they will be, but I feel like, again, it's like this mirroring of what's happened in my real life where it's like 10 years prior, 15 years prior, they go, oh, we don't get this. This makes me feel weird. Right. And then, you know, fast forward to now it's like, oh, body positivity, this, that, okay. We want to see people with flaws. We want to see what real people look like. We want to see, you know, women without makeup on, you want to see, you know, the pictures of like your trans friends and, and it's like, okay, so now it's cool. But you know, you were cool to be like, ew, you know, 10 years ago. So I just think that that's something that um, is, I mean, I don't want to be like popular or on trend, but it wouldn't hurt to kind of like, you know, hit, hit a stride at the right time. I guess sometimes I feel that way because now like I'm here in this space and, you know, I'm dealing with like censorship issues and um, kind of going through the same thing. But 
on the other side of the coin, I feel like this is part of being here early is paving the way for other artists so that, you know, we don't stay silent. We are very vocal. You said something else too, Dave, about um, like calling, calling things out or calling people out. And I've been on this kick lately because I feel that um, I can't help myself. And it's not like to win an argument, but it's more of like, if I don't say something, if I don't speak up, it's not setting a good example for the women in the space that feel like they want to speak up. Because what is someone going to really do to us at the end of the day? Like, what can they actually do to us? If we stay silent, we're just complicit and being complacent with our, you know, within the space. And it sends a bad message to other women who maybe feel would feel emboldened to speak up because they heard me speak up and say something, even though I wasn't particularly articulate about it or it came out messy or unrehearsed or whatever. But to be able to be like, no, I don't like that. That's not cool. Like, please don't do that. I think it sets the tone for people to kind of like start to examine these things and not take this you know, tolerate this behavior over here. And especially with our art, um, it's a very, it's just, I mean, I'd like to hear, you know, more what you would have to say about that too, Dave, because it's like, I, I'm just like, do I want to get into this fight right now with somebody about Basquiat? Because like, I'm going to, and like, I hopped, hopped on your thread about Kanye the other day too, because you know, I, I, I have opinions, but like, I always tell this to Dave too, like I'm always forever sitting at that desk, like change my mind because I am open to like learning other people's perspectives when it comes to art. But like, I will not tolerate like this false narratives being run either, you know, on certain artists or, um, women being gaslight or any person in this space being gaslit period. Like it's not, it's not funny to me. It's not interesting. And I think that what it does is it detracts from what we're here to do. And that's to share knowledge, gain wisdom, share our art with people. And I often wake up every morning, you know what I'm tagged in? Tag a strong woman in the space. You're wasting my time with your engagement farming. I hate being tagged. Mm-hmm. It was- it's a waste of time. Sorry. And you know, I actually, this is what I did this week. There was some big person in the space. Sorry, never heard of you. I don't know. You're verified. Okay, cool. Like, that's great. But I'm I'm always like on the side of maybe this person is not like, maybe we can have a conversation. So this person kept doing this engagement farming tweet where they were saying, hey, looking for poets in the space. Who's your favorite poet in the space? And I kept getting tagged on his thing. And I was like, okay, like I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna hop into his DMs. So I sent him a video and I was like really authentic about it. I said, I don't know if, if this was engagement farming, but if it wasn't, here's what I'm about. Let me tell you about my you know, feminist collective and what I've been doing with my poetry and getting other poets involved in are all around the world. And I've been doing this like in you know, pre the NFT space and now I'm doing it here would love to have a conversation with you about it if you're interested in it. And, um, and I just like 
let that sit in their inbox. He did get back to me and he's like, oh, you know, I'll watch this later, but still hasn't gotten back to me. But see, has continued to post these engagement farming posts, like tag your favorite, whatever. It's like, you don't want to have a conversation. And like, maybe that person will circle back to me because everybody's busy. We're all busy but too. Yeah. Quick, I, I, for the life of me, I cannot understand why that exists. Like for what, to what end, what do you get out of that? Like I did. If I post something like I want to talk about it. Same. Yeah. Like if, if I put a call out, like if I say tag your favorite poet, if, if you see that coming from me, it's because I'm looking to curate some poets for something I have coming up period. Like why else would I do that? Or if I'm looking to buy and are like, you know, tag your favorite painter in the space, it's because I'm, I'm looking, I'm shopping or I'm, I'm looking to curate, but I see it constantly from a lot of the same people. And, and it's almost like it's pathetic, right? Like tag, tag your favorite female artists. And it's like, what are they doing? You know, they're just going to keep promoting the same drops of the same women every time. So please don't tag me in it or do, do it old school, like do an introduction, you know, introduce somebody to somebody, either whether it's through a DM or an email or whatever, because the engagement farming, unless it's authentic and they really mean it, uh, I find it infuriating and it's phony and, and it leads to, you know, I see a lot of my friends, they, they, they keep trying to engage and they'll put their work up there. And it's just, we just, I feel like we're all just like collectively like sad. It's like, like everyone's I mean? desperate. Like everyone's like, yeah. look at me. And it's like, just, you don't have to like be looked at to do what you're doing. And it's, yeah, it's, it's painful because I, I've, you know, there have been times where I've found cool art, like under those posts and like even like purchased NFTs of people. And uh, that's cool. And that's like what it's supposed to be for. But I hate getting, oh, tag, you know, tag your favorite people in music NFTs. Tag, tag the, you know, the greatest minds in the space. Tag this. And then like, I'm like, why am I being tagged? Like, is there an event coming up? Is there like, I don't, I don't need more notifications on my phone, please. Like, it's it's almost annoying to get the notification on your phone that you're tagged in something with 30 other people, and then all of them are going, thank you, bro, thank you, you're the best, you mean so much to me. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, do we, did we not, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but like, I had a real life before I got into Web3. Like, I didn't need to be tagged and stuff in order to feel validated. And I think that there are a lot of people, and this is great. Like, I don't, I don't think this is a bad thing per se, but like, I think there are a lot of people who truly feel validated through these things. And like, someone like you, Jessica, or like myself, like, we've been able to be validated through our work in the real world. And so there are a lot of people who have never had an opportunity for their work or their minds or whatever to be validated. And I think what's happening is. People who, who have been validated IRL are getting caught in cycles of people who haven't been validated IRL and they're getting validated online. And then we're like, why is this cool? And everyone's like, this is so great. I'm so happy that I got tagged. I'm so happy to know you. I'm so happy to this and that. And I'm like, like I would just love like 10 friends in this space. Oh, just because I got rugged. But um, so yeah, that's like, 
<laughs> it's okay. We'll we'll get it worked out. Maybe she has well, to answer a call. I just wanted to throw that out at you too. So like I went out of my way because I've been doing like I know you hate this. <laughs> Sorry. Um I went out of my way. I've been doing like the GM for my collection and I just show like a different Those music are piece. Yeah, I just show a different music piece that I collected, but I was like, Oh, Dave's gonna love it when I throw a GM and tag him in that. So what did I what did, I had a I had a um I had a tweet that was like, uh, stop calling me your friend, grow up or something like that. And, um, <laughs> and it was like the funniest tweet in the world to me. And then like, all of a sudden, all these people were like leaving replies or like DMing me or like, uh, they'll like mention it later in a conversation and be like, I know you hate when people say friend. And I'm like, yeah, cause we're all in our thirties. Like just say friend, like an adult. And, um, and like, while we wait on Jessica to come back, like, I feel like GM is just like, like, it's like the gateway to wag me, right? Like, um, like, it's like, okay, cool, like, start getting the Web3 language going, so we can all make it in the end. And then like, and then at the end, it's like, fucking Farouk standing on top of a mountain holding a bunch of puppet (laughs) strings. You know what I'm saying? Dude, the only other person that I like GM more than you is Natalie, and I see, I see you're down there, and like it's it's so much fun to just GM Natalie. Dude, <laughs> it's because uh, it's really like you know, it's like you get there and you're like, oh, it's 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 like I just feel like it's funny to name all the like biggest people in this space who like do that, right? It's like, oh, hey, it's like Keith Grossman is here with his like GM flag standing next to like Chris Cantino, and you're like, oh, great, and they're like, yeah, guys, we're all gonna make it, and then it's like, wait how you know it's like you know meanwhile cpg is fucking like 30 east to buy and like time is impossible to like do anything with and they like you know call nyla every week to draw a new person and it's just like like are we really all gonna make it are you guys just like using that phrasing to make money off of us and i think that a lot of people are using that using a lot of that to make money off of us like you and i talked about this on an early episode, I think like first episode and maybe second episode, like how cool it is to like, to be involved in something that's kind of exclusionary. Like even calling this show, if you know, you know, is like, it's almost like anti wag me, right? Like, it's almost like, it's almost like, uh, you, you have to know about the things I'm talking about in order to know about things. Like, um, when we had drift on a couple weeks ago, right? It's like, being like, all right, what's your favorite Nipsey Hustle song? And then when he names it, not everyone's gonna know that song. And then when he describes the song and describes its place in the album, it's like you gotta know to know, or you gotta go listen to you gotta go listen to Victory Lap in order to know what he's talking about. And I think that that's I think that stuff's really important. And I think that using Wag Me instead of saying like, hey, find your culture, is is problematic. No, I don't know if problematic's the right word. I definitely think it's. I don't know the right word, but I know I don't like it. Um, But I think it's way more important to find like-minded individuals than I think it is to tell everybody that they're going to win. I'm really just interested in, in like me and people like me and people that I like. And I don't care if we win or lose. I just want to like, you know, have relationships with people. Um, Welcome back, Jessica. Sorry about that. What did what did I miss? I got the tail end of what you said. Dave started uh, saying GM to everybody. Okay. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was GM is the gateway drug to wag me. Um, 
kind of conversation, just like how a lot of the Web3 language feels a lot like propaganda, um, you know. Oh, and, light, light topics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, because um, even like, I remember getting into Web3 and I think being, and you'll know this too, Jessica, like, uh, you know, being into fashion, uh, FOMO, like as a concept, no one said FOMO in real life. Like, I didn't hear people, I'd never heard a person say FOMO out of their mouth until I got into Web3. And then it was like, um, because we always said hype. Like, oh, that's a hype shoe. Oh, that's a hype shirt. Oh, that's a hype brand. Oh, that's a hype this. Oh, that's a hype that. And um, and so, like, what ended up happening was um, people started saying FOMO. And I was like, what is FOMO? FOMO this, FOMO that, FOMO this, FOMO. I'm like, FOMO? I'm like, oh, fear of missing out? I'm like, people say that? That's a thing? And so um, just thinking about, like, like um, the cultures of people that are, like, I remember um, when I went to, when I was in NFT NYC, um, I saw um, Salem singing Crypto Boy and, like, all of her other songs. And I was like, wow, you guys like this. And I was like, am I, is this my room? You know, are these my people? You know, kind of, kind of thing. And, and I don't think that it's bad for me to have people who aren't my people in the space. I have people who aren't my people in the real world, but Wagme goes against that. And that was, uh, that was my rant. I don't like Wagme. I think, you know, what it reminds me of. So I, I lived in Las Vegas for a pretty long time. And um, that's gambling culture, right? Um, even though, you know, growing up there, I had a very like interesting relationship with, with that state and with the city. Cause it was actually very like mystical and you're in the desert and, but the economy does function around this, you know, gambling, right. And partying culture, um, which I never felt like I ever fell into cause I was always a homebody. And I still am here talking to you guys tonight. But, you know, when I got into the space, um, I got, a re I got really excited about, oh, wow. Like a lot of art that I have or have showed, haven't showed could have a Renaissance, right? Because it could reach different people in different parts of the world in different communities. And like, that was something really exciting and it's sort of aspirational in a lot of ways. But this wag me thing um, kind of felt very uh, adjacent to like gamblers culture or addiction culture. And uh, not that, that it's a culture, but you know what I'm saying? Um, just, it, it didn't, at a certain point, I like came outside my body and looked down on what I was doing. And I was just doing so much buying and it didn't matter what it was. I was just like buying so many NFTs. And I was like, wait, what are you doing? What are you doing? You came in here. Yes, you did come to support artists, but part of supporting artists doesn't always look like buying their art, right? Like I was talking in a room earlier today where we were talking about like pricing our work and Carrie was actually in that room. And, um, you know, I think that IRL, like how we would do it is we would trade, right? Like you trade 
like say you have like somebody has a print that you really want or you really want um, a painting or a sculpture, whatever that is, you do a trade. So the same thing should be happening here. And I feel like the more and more we kind of cut ourselves off and we're siloed in these communities where we're just asking each other to keep buying our work, we're not going to get out of that class. It's almost like a class system, right? So if, if we're just going around on a hamster wheel, just buying each other's work, how do we ever break out of that? And it's, you see a lot of people walk away, right? Because they're, they're getting tired of that. But at the same time, you know, I really do want to own some, some really cool NFTs, but to a point, you know, like I want to be very mindful about how I'm, you know, spending my ETH, buying NFTs, and also keep in mind why I came here. I came here because of the art and because of the technology. But at the end of the day, I'm still selling my art. So I need to focus on that. And if I'm going to do things like flipping or whatever, they need to be more geared towards, well, I'm flipping this so I can buy that. You know, not like I'm just flipping, flipping, flipping. Because let me tell you, like, I'm in New York. And when I had to do my taxes, I had to explain all of this flipping nonsense. And it was a mess. And I was like, I don't want to do that again. I'm just going to sell my work because it was so much easier, like that part of the taxes. Like, uh, you know, it was very like direct, like you had these sales and then here are your write-offs and all that, but not to, to get into like boring stuff. But it just kind of comes back to this place of, well, we are here as artists selling our work to these so-called quote collectors. I don't think the artists should be the collectors necessarily. I think like it's great that they want to collect each other's work. We want to collect each other's work, but they don't have to. Like, I don't get mad that my friends don't buy my work. And then I think it was Jeff Jag that told me this. He said, we shouldn't be able to afford each other's work. And I loved that statement. Now, obviously, we want everybody to do well financially so that they can afford to buy whatever they want. But we should be pricing our work accordingly and not so that like people will buy it, that our friends can afford it. There could be like different levels of like points of entry price wise so that people can get in if they want to. But like, that's not what this should be about. Like, at least from my point of view, I think that we should stop like underselling ourselves, sell them at the right price point. But then, then you're faced with, your audience is maybe not here yet. Your collectors are not here yet. So you kind of have to hang on the blockchain then maybe without a sold out collection for a while. And are you okay with that? So then it becomes more of this conversation about like, why are you here? Is it about the integrity and your interest in technology? Are you patient? Do you want to wait it out? So, I mean, and I've had these, this internal dialogue with myself. And I think like, it's more important for me to be here making the work, putting it out there and saying like, Hey, I was there first X amount of years ago than saying like, Hey, I sold out. Like I have sold collections out, but that's also something that like I can bring up too. Um, I mean, I definitely want to hear your, your guys's perspective on this, but it took someone else to validate me to sell out certain collections. And I didn't like that. Like, I like that I sold out and I did like that, you know, I had the sales, but why wasn't my 
credentials and also to to your point um jared like the uh my um what was the word you used i forgot um merit merit. yeah like that should be enough and also yeah if you're interacting with communities and you're out there and you're supporting other people but i don't think people are ready for that that are not artists that are just collectors in the space or like finance guys and, and gals like it's it's just it's it's okay but it doesn't make artists feel very optimistic about the future if they don't sell out right away and i fear that because i'm like what's going to happen if they all leave the space because they didn't sell out you know like they should stick around and they should be here for the long haul and yeah you can make different points of entry so that you can have some sales if you want to live off of that but when people have like what they were touting especially like in clubhouse in the early days like generational wealth, like you need to Google what generational wealth is and what that actually means because it's, that's a very scary thing to tell people that they're gonna get into this space and experience generational wealth. Like, I'm sorry, do you, are you part of the Johnson and Johnson family? Like- Well, to that, that point though, like yeah. that, that, that is, I think that's actually like, one very large root of the problem right so like there's artists there's musicians there's people out here that like this is what they do and because of the like the market aspect of everything on here the most of the people here that are quote unquote collected aren't really collectors they're speculators and that's okay but it, it just it ends up being like so now you have this class of people that are like speculating to, to make money and again that's just fine but then you also have the artists that are like oh well we want those people too and it, it's it's just everything just gets kind of wrapped up in this financial aspect and it just makes um you know be for the most part like i've sold almost all of the you know it, my, if you were to look at my wallet i have a weird mix of things so like i pick stuff out with my six-year-old daughter and she's like dad that looks cool can we get that and if it's cheap enough that's what we buy and then i buy music and so like most of like the pfps and all that crap i don't have any more of and it's for the most part it's i i have these things like that i want now and i told dave i was like you know if somebody comes along and i've got, I've got a few days if and if somebody comes along and they offer me 10x what i paid for it okay sure i'll let it go to be honest with you there's nothing material in my life that you could give me 10x what i paid for it that i wouldn't sell to you but that aside you know like i'm not you know, if I'm not buying a PFP speculatively, I'm buying something because I like it. And there's this weird aspect of like people just buy stuff. Um, I think it was Kobe said like a week or two weeks ago, he was like, NFTs are just altcoins with pictures. And I think he fucking nailed it for the most part, right? Like it, it's not everybody, like, because there are people out here making art, but like the way that the market treats it is like an altcoin with a picture. Um, I think too, like there's um to to like both of you guys' point, what happens is there's um um communications of expectations issue, right? Like artists like they expect people to wanna collect their art, but then we go, but yeah, you guys are cool too if you guys want to speculate on it. We'd love to make money off of you flipping it. But then they go, Okay, cool, we're gonna buy it and then the artist goes, Oh man, cool, I have people who love my art. I'm finally validated through my art. And it's like, no, 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 actually, those are the people that you said wanted to speculate on it. 
And so then it becomes this thing where we get caught in this trap where a lot of us are like selling our art, like, like graphic tea, you know, like we're instead of creating this. And I, I talked a little bit about this earlier and I would love to like, maybe get your opinion on this, Jessica, as someone who's like learned in these things. But like I was talking about music NFTs, um, having an opportunity for music to be treated as fine art. And of course, there is tons of audio focused art out there. So it's not like it doesn't exist in its fine form, but um, NFT is giving the opportunity for music to be fine art. And then I was talking about how like, you know, what can make music fine? What makes art fine? What makes something digital fine, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I was, I had broken it down to like quality of work, um, presentation of work, and scarcity those are like the three things that i use in that specific thing and and i was kind of relating it more to like luxury products than i was to like fine art especially as someone who would struggle to actually say like if someone walked to me and said dave what is fine art like i don't fucking know and i would use that as the the explanation and i feel like what's happening is like we aren't um we are saying that we're making fine art but we're not treating what we're making like fine art and um and then that's when all the miscommunications start happening where it's like, okay, now you have these speculators as opposed to people who love art. That's fine. Or you have, um, you have people who like art. That's fine. But can't afford art. That's fine. But you really want to sell your work. So you don't treat it like fine art. You treat it like a t-shirt instead and you lower the price so that people could buy it. And it becomes this like big circle of miscommunications. I, I was saying earlier in my close, in my Twitter circle, which you are in Jessica, um, about like the idea of like, um, like I'm just pricing everything too. I just need to like go crazy with how much I charge for stuff. And like, I know, and I know Jared's been doing the research, but like one thing that you would have seen Jared, I guess through that research is like, you know, Jessica's been in galleries, Jessica's sold things for lots of money. Jessica's, um, you know, got the poetry books and the, and the photo books and stuff like that. And so like, there's like this idea. It's like, I feel like there was probably a time even for you, Jessica, where you were like, this feels like an uncomfortable price. But then when it happened, you were like, nope, that's exactly what it should have been. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, even I'll look at like my, um, sorry to make this about gender, but you know, my male counterparts and see what their pricing work at. And it's, usually vastly different from what I was pricing my work at or what it was selling for. And I don't think that that's intentionally like to be, you know, disrespectful to my work or to, to, to women in general, but it's just the way that it's gone since the beginning. And I, I think, you know, when you talk about pricing the work and pricing things like, I don't know, like a t-shirt, right? Yeah. You know, I had had an experience recently where, you know, I had a show here in New York and it was my first solo show in a long time. And it wasn't based in, you know, the photography work. It was, it was a retrospective um, that was more performative. And some of those pieces were connected to NFTs and I was like, oh, you know, this is a good opportunity to go to these quote whale collectors in the space that, you know, are want to follow my quote career and all of this and give them an opportunity to, um, 
have first, you know, preview of this work. And so I set up a 707 event where to have a private preview and a, a, a private book signing for a book that is now coming out next year. So people that came to that and have that have something that's like, you know, way, way awesome for them to have it in, in such advanced notice. Um, or, you know, they, it's just an advanced copy of a book now. Um, and so I hit a few people that were like, you know, collectors of my work and I, you know, sent them out press kits, artist statement, um, a list of the work, a price list as well, you know, kind of like a little virtual tour of the, of the space and say, here, these are the NFTs that are connected to physical pieces. This is the first time that they're doing this in this gallery and um, crickets, you know? So I think it's funny how people in this space claim to want to be fine art collectors and want to flex that they're fine art collectors, but they keep collecting the same artists or they keep, you know, they're, they're getting these like high, high priced NFT, like PFPs, right? And I was like, oh, so you don't want to make an impact. You don't want to be avant-garde. You don't want to collect art that, you know, you can build up your portfolio with for years to come. Oh, you don't believe in this space. Like, that's kind of what, how, how I see it. Now, don't get me wrong. You cannot like my work. That's fine. But be upfront about it. Like, I would much rather say, have somebody say to me, you know, that they're not interested in this collection or they're going to pass, you know, thanks anyway. But it wasn't that. It was just like a lot of ghosting. And so on the flip side, I hear, you know, collectors in, in real life, they're interested in the NFT aspect of my work. And they're, they're like, oh, that sounds really cool. So like, tell me more about that. So if I buy this physical piece, I can get an NFT. And I'm like, yeah. And then to them also it's like it's really exciting it's also like a certificate in a way and a way for them to get into this this space and so i had way cooler conversations with people outside the space that don't know anything like they were more intrigued by than these people that i was spending a lot of time on putting together kits for them and emailing them and, you know, inviting them to the private previews or like offering to do, you know, FaceTimes with them to show them the exhibition and the work and all of that. And it was like, oh, that's not interesting. But yet I hear these guys on alpha shows talking about they, they all watched this recently. It's been going around this old ass documentary about the art world. I forgot what it's called. It's like the price of everything or something like that. And I'm like, you guys this documentary was made a long time ago. Now you guys are talking about Marjorie and Warhol and shut up because I have been talking to you about art and other artists in the space and you continue to collect these PFPs and you're flipping, you're doing all this and that, but then you want to masquerade as serious art collectors. You're not like what, what is going on here? There's like some kind of disconnect and I don't want to come across like I'm bitter because some collector who said they were interested in art doesn't want to buy my work, but I don't see that they're actually serious about collecting art. And I've even had conversations with some of them where they've said, oh, you know, 
what do you know you know a lot of fine art artists like in the space i'm like yeah i know a ton of them and i'm not going to tell you about them because you're just going to use me for all of my information not do your own research and probably end up jerking them around and not supporting them and the funny thing that i hear all the time in these alpha rooms is like oh you know like once the art world you know enters the space and da 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 dude they're already here what do you think is going on like you are so in a bubble there's so many artists that i know like in in my friends groups like outside that have ne that have never been on twitter spaces never been on clubhouse they have sold out nft collections because they're with galleries that have curators art buyers and all that that are very into digital assets and into the future and into web3 and they're onboarding their collector base saying like hey we have this artist you know he or she or they have nft collections are you interested in picking up some of those and they say yes and then they arrange it and it's done it's sold out i know some of these artists some of them are pretty big too and it's just happening so i think it's funny when people say oh when the art world enters a space it's like they're here you just you're not seeing these deals go down and it almost seems like listless to continue like posting on these engagement farm bro posts of these like Bitcoin boys because they're not going to buy your work. It's like you're better off almost just like kind of sticking with your web two presence and reaching out to that, you know, community and those resources and that network to share with them what you're doing that's on the cutting edge. Because I feel like there's more intrigue and interest there than there are like going after these quote collectors in the space, because I have yet to see somebody that I, I mean, I know a few people that are supporters of my work that have bought like, you know, more expensive pieces, but they're very, very, very few. And also it's a little bit tricky for me in particular, because people don't want to take a gamble on my work necessarily because of its content. So like, say they have a spouse or something, they're like, well, what the hell is that? Why are you buying that art? Like, you know, that doesn't make sense. Isn't everything supposed to be like cuddly, fuzzy, spinning, round, cartoonish things? So if you start buying fine, if a degen, let's say, starts buying a work like mine or a collector that is really not a collector, they're like a finance person or whatever, like they're just less likely to buy my art unless they're interested in the subject matter, I think. Or let's say, you know, to flip it because I'm, I'm having a moment or something and they can capitalize on it. So for, for what that's worth, that's kind of what I see happening lately. And I see that, you know, using your web three presence to leverage your web two, like ability to sell work, I think is kind of how I'm feeling lately. Cause I'm not feeling the, the act activity. I'm not feeling it in web three. I just, a lot of things have been revealed to me this summer after I came off of that solo show that a lot of people like to brag and say these things and this and that, but then when they're actually presented with an opportunity, they are not interested. And I know a lot of things happened with the economy over the last like six or so months, but still, you know, there are people here and they still have money and they're still collecting. It's just what they're collecting 
says a lot about who they are. And so I'm learning a lot of uh, who people, I'm learning who people are, I guess. If I can too, so to the point of, and, and I'm gonna take this completely a different direction now, and, and this is me doing research that I, I, I did on you. Um, you know, in, in one of your interviews, you said that you have a dark sense of humor, and I know you make film, um, and obviously, like, we've, we've had music discussions, too. So, like, I, I have two questions in one. One is, on the dark humor sense, what's your taste in film? And then also, like, what's your music vibe? I'm just curious. Oh, okay. So, I'm a cinephile. I love films. I even have a podcast um, and a new one coming out, too, about movies. Um, so... I'll tell you some of my favorite directors. Maybe this, this that will be helpful. Like I like uh, Catherine Brea. I like Michael Haneke. Um, I love uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, some of my favorite films: uh, Funny Games, Irreversible. Um, it's really hard. And then I just love um, courtroom drama crime thrillers from the 80s 90s um my new podcast actually is like all of that genre um i i love a oh god i i love everything and then i always get in fights with people because i love high and low like high route low route i think it's all art i absolutely if, if there's something with john travolta in it i will watch it because there's an art in how bad a film he can make. Like, I just eat it up. Like, I saw something on Netflix. It was like a new movie with him in it. It was trending. I was like, oh my God, I hope it's awful. I cannot wait to watch it. I'm like a John Travolta Maxi because he just loves to act and he'll just like act in so many things. And I like respect his hustle. So I, I go high, low. Um, and then I also use this as a litmus test for friends. I go, have you seen the holiday with, uh, or last holiday with Queen Latifah? <laughs> and they'll say no. And I'm like, watch that movie. It's like one of my favorite films. It's like a feel good film. It's has rom-com vibes to it. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that movie, but it's one of those movies that I watch that makes me feel like comforted and it makes me laugh. And I had this conversation with somebody who's staying at my house, mind you, okay? And um, my partner had invited them to stay for like two weeks, which I don't like people staying at my house, period. But it, he said it in passing when we were on a vacation and the person took us up on it. And so we were talking about films and I was going on and on and on about how I love Last Holiday. And she was like, what is that movie? I was like, oh, it's a great film. I was like, it's Queen Latifah. It's LL Cool J. They have great chemistry. It's really funny. And I was like talking about this movie like it was like a fine art film. And she was like, oh, it's a comedy. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, oh, I only see cinema. And I was like, we can't be friends. We literally cannot be friends because I watch everything. The only kind of um, like film or t genre that I'm not really excited about is when like children are hurt. So I, I, I stopped watching the new it, um, the recent one, because as soon as they did that thing to the kid, I was like, Nope, can't do that. Nope. Clowns and kids. Absolutely not. 
And then also Game of Thrones, which I know probably people are going to like unfollow me or block me, but that one episode where the kid gets pushed out of the castle window, I was like, absolutely not. He's the most important character in the show. I heard, I heard. But when I saw that, I was like, I can't accept that. I can't watch kids be pushed out of windows to their death. Um, And I know he didn't die, but I thought he did. And I was very upset about that. But um, so that was your, your first question was about that. And then your second one was about music. So um, I always tell people, I don't like music. And that really upsets them. Because my taste in music is not very, I guess, like popular with the times. Um, I tend to listen to, like, if, if you were to look, you know, when you do that thing at the end of the year with Spotify, and it tells you everything you listen to. So I, it was, it was spot on. And I guess maybe a little bit embarrassing, but I had um, the the most played tracks were like the beats for focus because I like things sometimes without vocals so I can concentrate. You mean like lo-fi type stuff? Yeah, like so you can just zone out and concentrate, but it has like here, I'll see the name of it on my phone. It's, yeah, I think it's just lo-fi. I'm a big beats. fan of lo-fi. I, I love that stuff. Yeah, lo-fi beats. Yeah, but whatever they did to it this year, I don't. I don't really like. I have to go back and like see the actual playlist that I had from 2021 because it was much better than what they had this year. But I'm very big into R&B. Um, if you ever want to have a great win at a trivia night for um, 80s, 90s R&B, like I should be on your team. Um, yeah, I like, <laughs> like, uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like, well, I guess he's not, t- he's kind of in 90s, but like, I love Maxwell, I love Tony, 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 I love um, just, yeah, I just love like, kind of classic R&B. Um, and yeah, I do like some pop music and uh, alternative music. I like Joy Division and shit like that but um yeah it's mainly like you'll hear r&b in my house and like that's kind of uh you know my partner's not as big of an r&b fan as i am um and i i do like hip-hop but i'm very dave knows this i'm a very particular about the hip-hop that i listen to <laughs> I, I do not like a lot of of the new stuff um but i'm yeah, a maxi on on the old things, and I'm trying to think. I I mean, yeah. Beyond that, I just yeah, it's, well, I, it's a lot of the same thing. I think we'd be that. friends on the on the old <laughs> R&B tip because I'm a huge Raphael Sadiq fan. I love Tony yes! Tony, like the '80s and '90s. Like I get down with all of that stuff. Um, but yes, I like a lot of shit. Like like it takes a lot for me to not like it type of thing. You know? Yeah, and I think the great thing about getting older is that all of those groups now you can go to a concert and sit down to see them perform like because we're getting older and they're getting older and i don't do you guys remember john b so he he was playing somewhere uptown i was like oh my god my child self like i get to go but like i can sit down and and watch him perform like he was one of you know my first concerts too and so you know 
that kind of music, just like feel good music. Um, D'Angelo, I'm trying to think what else. Just, yeah. You know, some of the, some of the best things though, is like if you were to go back and watch some of those old school videos, like it is absolute comedy. Like I can remember the John B video of Don't Listen. Oh yeah, they're, they're horrible. <laughs> and it, it's absolutely terrific. Do you know in the music video and um, what is it? Uh, H-Town with uh, Knock in the Boots and they actually knock boots in the music video. Like they knock them together. <laughs> like I don't remember like, that, but that's it's hilarious. It's so literal and it's this image that has never left my mind or like, you know, Tevin Campbell, like all of these videos where they're like acting out like the lyrics in the song is, it's so nostalgic and fun. But yeah, I, I just, I'm a sucker for that. And I just have like these playlists that have all of that on there. And then I try to put like new, new wave kind of like pop stuff on. And then I just end up going, I was just like, I need like my R&B list. And I just like put that back on and I feel like I go back into a safe space. <laughs> so, Dave, what do you got on the R&B side of things? I, um came up listening to R&B. Actually, my mom uh, was huge into R&B. The, the years that I lived with my grandma, she didn't listen to R&B, and so we listened to a lot of oldies. Well, she didn't listen to like, current music. She listened to a lot of oldies, but um, my mom is a huge Tony Braxton fan, so like I know every single Tony Braxton song there is to know. Um, huge uh, Sade fan, so I have a ton of that. Um, she loved Mary J. Blige. Um, what else? It was, it was all sorts of stuff. Even now, like, she's like, my mom's 55. She's super young for a mom of someone my age. But she, um, she's like just discovering Spotify. She, she, she knew about Pandora because, you know, Pandora came out like way before Spotify and it just like shuffled music. And so she had Pandora for a long time. And I was like, Mom, you should get Spotify so you can choose your songs. You can, uh, it'll make playlists for you based on what you listen to. You can discover new music, blah, blah, blah. And so now she's been just like making playlists. And, um, and so sometimes I'll hop in the car and like some random stuff will be playing or like we'll ride. Like uh, my grandma lives in Florida, which is like, she lives in North Florida. So it's like a four hour drive from where I am. And, um, and we'll just like, just play R&B from like, like the nineties, uh, early two thousands. My mom's, I would say she, she did, she kept up with music until she was probably like in her mid forties. Like she kept up with like current music, which is super interesting. And then I think like kind of paused there. Um, I feel like we had a conversation recently. I don't know if it was us, but I was involved in a conversation recently. It was, it was with Sherry, I think about how like, our music taste sort of stops in like our mid twenties. Um, and then like, that's kind of all the music we listen to for like the rest of our lives. Kind of like how like a lot of like parents will listen to like what we consider oldies or like classic rock or whatever. And, um, and my mom really ran it up until like, um, until her forties, but even like you'll catch her like listening to SZA sometimes, which is kind of crazy. Um, she doesn't know who that is. Like I'd be like, Oh mom, SZA, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, who's that? And I'm like, this song that you like is her. And she's like, oh, because it's just in Spotify. And she just liked the song and added it to her playlist. Like, uh, 
I feel like there's like a, a different switch that she doesn't fully understand with like streaming that you can like tap on the name, you can listen to all their music, you don't have to just like, you know, like I think she still like thinks it's Pandora. And I'm just like, you can go listen to any album, any song, anything. Like it's like Netflix for music. And she just like doesn't get it. So but I'm I came up on all that stuff and um and then once I started listening to rap music, I just like left R and B behind. So no. I, I have to ask <laughs> to sorry, real quick. I, Cause Nat- and Natalie's heard me ask this like several times because I always ask this on Music Mondays now. When you're a kid, usually your parents will have some go-to, whether it's an album. Uh, what I'm referencing is a tape that they, my mom would just play again and again and again. So I'm just curious, like what either album or song do you just know in and out? Like what's the first one that comes to mind because your parents used to play it all the time? For me, uh, Tony Braxton's uh, Unbreak My Heart. You know that song? Um, Unbreak I, My Heart, Say You Love Me Again. Everybody knows that song, um, yeah. Yeah, that, she, that, like, is probably, I don't know why that song in specific, but, like, as soon as you asked that question, that song came in my head, so it's got to be that. My parents listened to, well, my mom um loves the oldies but she loved the beatles but i can't remember specifically what album it was but like love me do whatever album that was on like that was in heavy rotation in our household and um my father was really into the the eagles (laughs) and I mean, if there's one song that I wish that I could, like, it, it's triggering. But when I hear Hotel California, I literally want to scream. But I also kind of love it now. Like, when I hear it, it hits different at my age. But me and my sister used to be in the car. And my dad would just, like, listen to Hotel California on repeat. And we're like, we're, this is, this is terrible, you know? And he loved Celine Dion, but my mom, she loved to dance and she loved to like do the twist and stuff. And she was like, um, and well, my parents were a lot older than yours, Dave. Like they're, they're like in another era. Like, yeah, my fully. mom, my mom had me like in high school. So yeah, my parents are in their late seventies. So they're, yeah, my mom and my mom grew up on music, like from her mother and like they, they loved to dance and, you know, my mom, she loved Chubby Checker and she loved, yeah, she loved the Beatles. Like basically like, I think she was kind of frozen in like fifties and sixties music. Like she, she liked Elvis, but she wasn't as big into Elvis as she was into the Beatles. Like, but specifically like this, the sixties, you know, like, um, yeah, my dad liked rock and stuff like that, but he, he surprisingly would, you know, lean more towards, I think he'd like, you know, he he likes vocalists like Celine Dion because <laughs> he liked the art of it, you know? Um, and like everyone in our family plays instruments as well, which is um, kind of an, a benefit. Like my dad plays classical music. He plays a guitar, but then didn't, like he didn't go into that like in his career. So I picked up like music um, from my, 
well, we had to take piano lessons. Like you had to learn to play piano in my family. And I think that that was a benefit, but you know, at the same time, my mom wasn't musically inclined in terms of like playing instruments, but she liked to sing and she played the piano. And I don't know if you know this, Dave, but my, one of my great grandmothers used to actually sing like opera on the radio. And we're trying to find that out, like discover how we can, if we can find those recordings or something. But um, so very like artsy family, even though there's a, everybody kind of went like the, the medical route, mostly in my family, just like really highly creative and like musical people too, which is, is pretty cool. But yeah, a long answer to a short, easy question, but yeah. No, I love that. And so when I hear the Eagles, the first thing I think of is the big Lebowski when he's like, fucking Eagles, man. Like, that's all I could think of whenever I hear the Eagles these days. But also a uh, cool little side note. My wife actually interviewed um, Chubby Checker. Uh, she's making a documentary um, about her great grandfather who was a old school like vaudeville performer. And he, um, he performed with Chubby Checker at one point. So. She actually interviewed Chubby Checker, so that's a cool thing. And that's just so cool. So you guys know too. My my answer to that question, Dave. Uh, our moms are on a similar vibe. Mine is um, the old Mariah Carey album. Uh, the song specifically is "Someday." I know that thing in and out, and I hate it. Man, dude, it's it's not bad. It's not bad. My mom didn't listen to Mariah Carey a lot. Um, my sister may have. But even so, like that's interesting. That's a that's an interesting choice because, like, I think Mariah Carey too, and I feel like you know she was just on that podcast uh, with Meghan Markle, right? Um, talking about like um, how like she was more perceived as like a pop artist because of her skin tone, um, because she was like lighter, and so like she could like play both sides and. Um, yeah, it's so Mariah Carey is such an interesting case, especially for like the time period she existed in, because um, she really did play both sides. And uh, yeah, what a what a the Christmas queen, you know? Oh yeah. By was, the way, Jessica, Dave's coming out with a Christmas album. Just FYI. Are you? We were so we were talking about because um, I'd love like, to do that. The um, the conversation around it has slowed down a lot, which is cool, but. We were talking on a past episode about CC Zero, and um, I think we had we have all tips. Do we have tips on? Yeah, it was. Good. I don't know. And um, and so we were talking about CC Zero, and I was talking about like um, all the public domain Christmas songs that exist, and I was I was trying to get one of my old roommates who can sing and produce to uh, take those songs and make a Christmas album. I was like, Christmas albums like. I'm sure people just look for stray Christmas music and you could probably end up on some random Christmas playlist and like end up with a boatload of streams, you know, just from being on some Christmas playlist. And um, he never did it. He's one of those people who like, you know, is always down for the idea, but never does the idea. And um, he's going to hear this episode and be like, I heard what you said about me. But, um, <laughs> but like, it's, it's just like, I was like, well, you know, well, Jared was like, you should make a rap Christmas album and just take all the public domain Christmas songs and make a rap Christmas album. And I was like, hmm, I don't want to do it, but I'll probably do it. And then Tips was like, everybody's already working on albums. You got to start today if you're going to finish your album in time for it to be out on Christmas. And 
um, or have not started it. That's something you could start like this year though, for next year. Like I always think yeah. a year ahead with that. I, I had entertainment. You have a Christmas even, album? So I started writing one a few years ago when I came out with my first poetry book. And when I came out with Cunt Keeper, that song, that track, and I was like, this would be hilarious. And so I started working on it, but then didn't, well, to be honest with you, I mean, I had like some other tracks that I, I even recorded another one. I'm coming out with a poetry album, believe it or not. And there's like some, we're going to like remix Cunt Keeper and put it on there. And then, you know, remix this other song that um actually like the title called Don't Fucking Touch Me. Um, so I'm really excited about those tracks and they have their, they're taken from my poetry, but I wanted to do like this kind of, you know, like the style of my work, this kind of diss track poet thing, like, um, you know, like a little angry Christmas album, you know, (laughs) that could be sick. I think it would be way cooler coming from you because, um, so Jared, I have, uh, I have Jessica's, I have one of Jessica's poetry books. Um, she just, I, the one you were talking about earlier, Golden Throne, I guess comes out next year. Um, and the, the you, you, I don't know how much of her work you like came across like through your journey shared, but the tone is just so great. And um, I think to like, to line that up with something like Christmas, would just be like, oh god, that would be so perfect. Even even as a poetry album, even as like a like snarky Christmas book, and just get someone to like draw like Christmas art or something, and like, oh god, yeah, no, I'm down. Yeah. And like, I also oh, I will hold your feet to the fire too because I still have that track that I sent you. We, I think, yeah, I recorded the rest of the vocal for that. Um, and I was looking for an illustrator for that, and I just nothing ever like gelled or meshed. And then I was like, "Mm, maybe this belongs somewhere else. Like there's, I feel like you start working on something and you have a vision in mind, like, oh, this is going to fit over here. But then if you let it sit and simmer for a little bit, that it becomes evident that it maybe will work somewhere else. So like, I'm always like down to let things marinate for a little bit. And like, even with um, this new track that I was working on, I was like really adamant about, okay, I want to have it come out and, and, and do it like this and have it be like that. And then it just kind of evolved into like, let's remix this and do all these like intros and outros I had already built in with a friend of mine who was doing um, like ambient sound. And she built this like sonic palette, like for my poetry for this installation I had done. And so we were talking about, well, what would it look like if this was felt like one continuous track? in a way and it would be just this poetry album and so i think it's like seven seven tracks essentially but like three or five of them three of them are songs and then the rest are like like interludes like intro interlude out outro whatever um this isn't my uh (laughs) this isn't my genre so don't kill me if i'm using the wrong terms but you know like i i understand when something you know, sounds right, like to me, like for, for my voice and for my work. So wanted to have fun with it, but then, you know, work really hard to produce it. But I found that like when I tried to get some of these tracks remixed and work with somebody to just take the stems and work with them, 
this is another thing I think that like women in the space face, and I I know probably men face it too, but like, um, not in a, not in the same way as women do where I'll be like, Oh, I have this track. Like I would love to get it remixed. Like I would like to pay for it. You know, like I don't have a problem doing that. And it would be one or two things. Like one, somebody would try to like absolutely 110% rip me off or two, it's a guy trying to talk to me. And so they use that as this like bargaining chip. And if you don't reciprocate their like attraction or affection or whatever for you, they don't want to work with you. So that's kind of something that I've experienced um, with, you know, with trying to get tracks and things like that remixed. Um, the person that I worked with that was a produced the, the kind of keeper track. She's awesome. Also um, drum and lace is this, performer and um recording artist that she's really cool and i've worked with her also and uh that was cool you know like there was no issue with that we're women and we're able to work with each other but there's so many talented you know um musicians out there and creators and i would like to work with them but i just often find that it's they're giving me the runaround you know and it's become really difficult to finish certain projects because i'm like What's up with that? Or like, I'll get a mix back and I'll hear it's like, I'm not even like, this isn't even my profession, but the count is off on this. And it bothers me because like, I listen to, to, I, I listen to music. I listen to things. I'm also, you know, I understand editing and all of that to a point where I'm like, oh, this person just like did this really quick and thinks I'm not going to notice it because like, I'm not in the music industry. I'm not like a music producer. So it would be like a lot of stuff like that. I would find would end up happening. And, and honestly, like I haven't spent enough time going into these spaces, the music spaces in the space to maybe hopefully, you know, connect with more like producers to do something like um, collaborative, but these things take time and I am patient with them, but I'm also like, you know, can we cut this other part out where it's like the fact that I'm a woman and, you know, you're going to lead me on for a while about this. And can we can like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want you to do this for free. I'd like to pay you so we can cut this other you know, crap out. What's, uh, what's funny, a couple of things. I have, a, I have a question. I feel like we should probably wrap up soon because it's been probably longer than we were supposed to go. It has been, but it's fine. Um, first, you know, it reminds, I think like, so I have a song coming out soon with Emily Lazar, September morning, um, that she sent me the stems for probably a year ago and i'm finally getting around to it and like i like set the file up and then like just started doing other stuff and then like i'd see emily and be like oh no emily i found that song i'm st- i promise i'm gonna work on it and then like i'll like open it and like stare at it and then close it and then like go do something else and um and so like i'm i'm almost finished now a year later um but i totally get that I totally like I've seen so many guys do exactly what you're talking about. Um, and then thinking about like the bad, the bad, like thing you got back makes me think a lot about um, Rebecca black and like, remember um, how she had those guys who were like, their whole job was just to like take these songs of like 13 year old girls and like their parents would pay them a boatload of money and then they would make their daughters like into pop stars and like shoot a music video 
record a song and like produce it and blah 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 and so they had like this like mini pop star experience and then like you know friday just happened to go viral which was really funny um but not funny i i like i feel like the like looking at rebecca black now i'm like kind of into her not into her but like into her like the story and like how she is now how she's presenting herself and, and she even wants to still approach music and like i really want to see her do something i would love to like you know shoot a lookbook with rebecca black or something like i think i i don't think she's really cool I, I like i don't know that's a separate thing but um pivoting to a completely different subject and this is more so a selfish act i i've been taking advantage of asking selfish questions lately um something that i've been thinking about um and it'll be a mini rant into a question um so like i live in charleston of course south carolina a small market for art a small market for music a small market for blah 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 blah. um i've been doing like photography music blah 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 blah, all this stuff um something that happened i think you know for me i was shooting photography work-wise and i know i think i sent you my photo book that i had shot with my friend um which is really not much like my um solo work but um my solo work was pretty much Instagram before Instagram. You know, I was just shooting like hot girls in streetwear and sneakers and stuff like that. And that was like the vibe of my work. Um, and then like once Instagram became a thing, everyone became a photographer. Um, and, and then everyone started doing this thing that I'm sure you see and I'm sure drives you crazy because people who actually know what this is get really mad when people say that they are it. But a lot of people were saying that they were creative directors. And they were really just photographers, which at best would make you an art director at best. And um, and so, like, um, I've been thinking a lot about creative direction um, and being a creative director in Web3 and what that means. Um, I just want to hear, like, I, from someone like you who's, like, done a bunch of stuff across a bunch of different genres and worked, like, in all of these different positions. Um, you know, I am I am one who is massively inspired by Virgil and Tanya, of course, as as you know, and we argue about on on social media. Um, but like, what do you think about like that sort of position existing in Web three? And um, have you seen it? Um, which I think a lot of the people think about probably just like people who lead projects, quote unquote. But what do you think about that position in Web three? I think. One of my midterm goals is to uh, creative direct a body of work focused around a specific topic or idea and just bringing people in to do different aspects of that body of work. Um, and I just want to get your thoughts on it. And uh, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I think like a, a curator, a creative director, I mean, I, I do laugh a little bit because that is one of the reasons why I walked away from editorial and fashion because it was just so depressing. Like I would get called into meetings or they'd send me this like crazy deck. They'd have a little tiny little budget. And then the idea wasn't very good. So it's just like, cause you know, like if somebody presented me with like a really cool concept, um, my partner's a cinematographer and like I direct. So we're like ready to go, but if the concept is not there, then it's just like, well, you guys can do it. Like, we're not interested in shooting this.
But if we come up with a concept and, and we pitch it or something like that, then we're really kind of, we're, we're more so creative directing it. But I walked away from the industry because I just felt like I was getting pulled into meetings and they were picking my brain and then just going off and doing like actually copying my aesthetic because they ended up not being able to like afford me. And it's not that I was expensive. It's just that you would have to educate them on like, I don't just show up with a camera. I show up with a team of people that help us execute this thing. So it looks like what you want it to look like. And you're hiring me because you like my aesthetic and this is how I achieve it by doing X, Y, and Z. And then I remember like kind of like a moment where it was just like, I I've had it. Like, this is it. Like, if I'm shooting something, it's going to be shooting it for myself and not for something, somebody else or some other campaign or some other thing. And that was, um, I got called into this meeting and we were going back and forth for a while. And this was like right before when people were kind of flirting with and leaning into the body positivity campaigns. So I'm not going to name the brand, but they're a pretty, pretty big brand. And I had come into these meetings and they had had all of my books. They had like my work pinned up and all of this. And um, they were like, we want to do this campaign and here's what it's about. And it's going to be like all over the city, like on subways, commercials, all of that, like uh, social media, uh, you know, uh, advertorials, editorials, things like that. And I was like, oh, this is great. And it was something that I also, I, I used their product and I believed in their product, which is so it was like, I was like, oh, this is cool. The universe is like bringing this together. And they ended up not like calling me back, but I wasn't like waiting on their call or anything, but I was just like, oh, this is going to be a really cool, cool campaign. And I remember I got on the train and I sat down. This is like many months after. And I look up and it's the whole train cart was full of the ad of this, you know, brand. And it was all my aesthetic. They just did it in house. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I am so over this. Like I am not picking up a camera again unless it's for my own projects, which is what I continue to do. Or if it's somebody that really, really respects my aesthetic and wants me to, you know, do what I do and then work with an art director who's a really good art director. So like, I'll tell you a short story. Early on in my career, I got a chance to work with Jean-Paul Gaultier. And it was a really cool experience because I, I did not go out and look for this job. It came to me. And it came to me through an interesting like channel, I guess you would say. I had a solo exhibition in, in Belgium in this town called Ghent. And Ghent is this really beautiful place in, in Belgium and an artsy town. And a lot of young people live there. And also like a lot of people go there and retire. It's just really beautiful. And there was this famous duo that was, that were like the art directors for Jean-Paul Gaultier, like the house of Gaultier at the time. And one of the guys was from Ghent and he had just happened to be like home passing through. And that exhibition was up for like a month or so. And he passed through the gallery on one of the days that it was open and he saw one of my films. And then I got an email from him and they, he was just like, Hey, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so and so-and-so. 
And um, we love this video. We showed it to, to Jean Paul and um, we would love for you to come out for um, Men's Fashion Week and to do your thing, but do it, you know, on his, on the new line for the men's line. And, and I was like, oh my God, of course. Yes. You know, like this couldn't be better aligned. Like this is amazing because he saw my art and then he hired, he didn't even know that I worked commercially, you know, like, and I think like, I, I at least cause I was a fan of, uh, of Gautier, like growing up. And so to see that he was interested in art always, I think was something that I recognized and, you know, like the working with Madonna and just like, just doing epic stuff all the time and like the peak of his career and like, you know, throughout his career. And so when, so they, they paid for everything. Like they flew us out there, my team, all of that. And then we shot in the house of Gautier, like on the rooftop. And I had never felt so like respected by another team and they had a creative director, but they were very like, Parisian in a way where like they really regard art highly and so I was like well I'm thinking we could do like this and do like that and they were like whatever you want it's whatever you want like it's your vision and they even let me shoot a bunch of like vintage pieces like as part of it which was very very cool and then they made this like huge installation where they had the runway so they were playing the video like while the guys were walking down the runway and it was just the most positive experience that I've ever had. And I feel like, you know what? I'm good. I had that experience like earlier on in my career. I'm not going to deal with this crap. Like later on, this is dumb, dumb stuff. Like people just stealing ideas and trying to do you. And by the way, the work didn't look like mine that I saw on the subway. It looked like somebody was just whatever, like, but I could recognize it. Right. Cause I was in conversations with them for a long time that that happened. And I felt like if it's not going to be like a Gautier moment, I don't want it because I feel like my efforts are better used elsewhere. Like I do film editing mostly like for, you know, uh, as a, a, a vocation and occupation. And then I do my art and I'm very satisfied with that. And I get to explore and dabble in all different types of mediums and work with different people that are like, you know, really good at what they do in those fields and collaborate with them. And I'm very, very bullish on that way of life and not this other way of life. Like, yeah, I admire people that are like going out, they're editorial photographers or fashion photographers, but like, do you know how much hustle it takes to get to that point and to have an agent? It And it doesn't pay that well until you get to a certain tier and like, and then you're not really like doing your work. And so I feel like that was kind of like a, 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 a point for me in my career where I was like, this doesn't interest me. I don't feel like I'm being compensated fairly. I don't feel like I'm respected. I don't feel like people, I feel like, why am I here? You can shoot this on your iPhone. Like the assistant can shoot it. Like, why are you hiring somebody and like getting them to like use a red camera and getting like an AD involved and someone pulling focus? Like this seems so like you're wasting money when most of these campaigns are like shot on phones and stuff. Now it just seemed like it, this wasn't for me anymore. Like this, I'm, I'm just more interested in doing something else. 
And I don't want to fight with anybody about it. Right. Like this is something where like, I don't want to pick this fight. Like this isn't the hill I'm going to die on, but having that early experience in my career where I just like asked for things and like, there was just, you know, shirts and hats and pants being like thrown into our assistant's hands. It was just like such a magical experience. And I've not experienced that again in that particular way. So I kind of feel like I'm good. Like, I don't, I don't have to chase, what do they say? Like, does it chase a dragon or whatever? Like, I, I don't, I don't feel like I have to chase that again because I had that experience and that was part of my life. And it's just nice to be recognized by people and to collaborate with those people who respect you the most. And for me, I just didn't find that in editorial. And also people just, I mean, look how it pivoted. Like it went during when I graduated from school, they stopped doing print magazine. That was right when it like stopped and we started doing everything went online. So it, it like a lot of photographers, like they're done. Like that was it for them. They couldn't work anymore. And they, everybody was moving to motion too. So it's like everyone had a 5d with video on it, you know? And so I think that's where like, at least I excelled for a while because I knew how to film and I knew how to do video editing. So I was never out of a job, but in terms of the creative part, most of that stuff was just like really underpaid. And I mean, I've shot magazine covers, I've shot editorials, I've shot fashion and it just, it doesn't pay well. And then they kind of, they're always like wanting you to do something else. And I'm always like, well, you shoot it then, you know, like it's and and just to kind of circle back to what you're saying about art directing. If you can meet an art director that has a vision and really loves your work and understands how to work with you and to kind of like pull out the best in you, like never leave that person. Like I've worked with an art director. She's incredible. It's unfortunate. She left the industry and she followed her passion, which was dancing and like uh, performance art, interpretive dance, all this stuff. She was an incredible art director, like the best, just her vision. And then the way that she was able to take certain photographers and artists and pitch them something that was like perfect to their aesthetic and their style. Those are art directors. Those are the curators. Those are the tastemakers that just like, you know, like Virgil, I think there are not a lot of people that are like that, but they do exist. But when I see people that are like saying that they're art directors or whatever, because they had a few ideas and they put them out there, that's not it. It's, it's a total art form. And like, Usually it's backed by they knew a lot about art history. They know a lot about like interior design. Like they have all these different little like pockets of knowledge that allow them to be a great director. They know a lot about culture. And I think for somebody like you, Dave, like, yeah, you're a great art director because you understand and are tapped in to all things beauty, all things pop culture, all things art all things music and like that's really what it takes to come like that's what you need to bring to the table if you want to be a good art director like you can't just like you know arrange some flowers or something and be like yeah that's it oh it's awesome it's like i would see sometimes that stuff on set and i'd be like i can't believe you're gonna make me photograph this now like this is making me sick 
you know, but then you would meet certain art directors and you'd be like, um, that's actually how I met my best friend. She was a stylist on a set and we became fast friends and we still work together to this day. So if you find those people, like keep them, hold them close, keep them near and dear because you will grow with them in, in your career. And it's just like amazing, amazing, amazing what you can, you know, create together, like as, as you, you know, traverse, I guess, through the space. And then one last thing I did want to say is that, um, because Jared, you asked me this at the beginning about, uh, uh, aesthetics and arranging and, and with, in in respect to the book. So my first book, I did not lay that book out. It was laid out by a gentleman named Sam Shahid. And for people who knows who Sam Shahid is, um, like, that was an honor. Like I couldn't believe that they were publishing the book first. And then I couldn't believe Sam Shahid was designing it. And he was the one that did all the layouts for, um, for Bruce Weber, for Abercrombie and Fitch for like, um, a lot of, like, if you look him up, you'll, you'll see his work, you'll, you'll notice. And I know, um, Bruce Weber is kind of canceled now, but the work that Sam did with Bruce's work is, is why, he's as famous as he is, frankly, and all the Calvin Klein ads like that Sam Shahid. So he had a very, um, uh, an impeccable sort of like imprint on the late eighties, you know, through the nineties. And that I just felt so honored to have him now, like working with, with that first collection of photographs that I had put out as a book. So yeah, like, I feel like I had a lot of these early experiences. And then now I'm here. And, and I think like, I'm glad that I didn't go that other route, because maybe I wouldn't be here, right? Maybe I would have never found web three and never found NFTs and been able to like, be fully expressed in in this other medium. So yeah, but thank you guys for, for hosting this talk tonight. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Uh, I I don't want to speak for Dave, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we're probably on the same vibe. Like this could probably go on for a long time. <laughs> so, I, um, I knew when starting, like I know Jessica talks, so that's okay. Um, and so, and I knew you're going to have questions and, um, even like making, I was making a joke to my girlfriend. I was like, I'm, I'm talking to Jessica, but I'll probably ask two questions and then the hour will be over, you know? And like, that was pretty much it. And so like, um, I'm thankful that you, um, gave us extra time and, um, uh, we can do this whenever, like you already know I've been on, I've been on, you know, um, yours and had a good time. Um, so yeah, we can do this as many times as, as we need. And maybe, uh, just, I, I did just want to say too, like that, that whole story with, uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier, like. What an incredible story. Uh, that's definitely like my favorite story of this whole thing. Like I think we had some, some really good touch points along the way, but what a, you know, forgive my language, what a fucking awesome story. Like that is really, really cool. And I also find it really interesting that someone of that stature has the, you know, the, the wherewithal to, to bring you on and say, do your thing. This is why you're here. Meanwhile, somebody else who brings you in and knows what you do, but then still wants to control you, like it just, it just speaks to, I think, levels of, you know, ascending, uh, kind of an ascendancy to, to greatness type of thing. So 
congratulations. What an awesome experience. Um, I'm sure I'll see you around. And thank you. I, I really appreciated the conversation. Dave, sorry I cut you off. I was going to say nothing important and, and just wrap up. Um, I, uh, once again, if you know, you know, Huddle In, Black Dave. Um, if you're here, send Huddle In a DM and you'll get some XP. Um, just letting them know that you listened in. Um, we've got some XP-based rewards coming soon. XP is just like um, an in, in-app in currency that will allow you access to special things whenever I decide uh, to build them and talk to Joe about it, and hopefully we don't have a conversation about cards for 45 minutes instead. Um, Jessica, I want to um, wanna give the last words to you um, to send us off. I, once again, love and appreciate you. And I'm going to hit you up soon when I come to New York at the end of the month. Oh, you put me in a tough spot to give the last words. Um, I'm I'm just really grateful for this conversation. Like I said, I when you wanted to talk at first, I was like, is this online? Like, do I have to put clothes on? Do I have to brush my hair? Because <laughs> I thought it was a video. <laughs> it's like, I'll do it. But I really got to get my shit together really quickly. But I was super excited to hear that it was a Twitter space because I was like, oh, of course, of course, like I, I am hungry, like to talk to you. I have not talked to you in a while, but I feel like we do have this friendship where um, and I feel like it's, it's interesting because it's like, you know, people that you feel the most the, the, the closest to, you don't feel like you're tethered to them all the time, like through texts or DMs. It's just like we we're fine right like we're like at a distance doing our own things and then we connect again and when we connect again it was like nothing it was like time didn't even exist you know so like i always appreciate how you know we're able to come together and have conversations and i mean this is mostly me monologuing here but i feel like when when i had you on our podcast and listening to you talk like um you know, I just really, I really appreciate you and your insights. And I love having conversations with you. And um, yeah, I just really, really enjoy, you know, what you've brought to the space and to like the mediums that you're working in. And um, yeah, I mean, like you were one of my, I think, if not my first collector, and you were one of the first artists that I collected as well. So I do feel, um, a, a, you know, a connection in, in, and a, a lot of respect, you know, mutual respect, I, I know. And yeah, it's just such a pleasure always to talk to you. And I think that um, you're, you're like a leader that I really admire, not just like in the NFT space, but in in an art practice you know like you're doing your thing and i really admire it and i am so inspired by it like after we talk i just feel so inspired to go off and like do whatever i'm gonna do or keep writing or you know have another idea and i feel like you bring that to every space that that you enter and um that does not go unnoticed and we all know that it doesn't go unnoticed because people miss you. And when they see you online, you know, they want to hop in that room and, and hear what you have to say. So I just, my last words are just so much love for you. And definitely next time you come to New York, we have to meet up. It's, it's always crazy when there's conferences and things like that going on. It doesn't always seem the right time to, 
to connect, but um, I can't, I can't wait to do that when you're in New York next time. And I'll have my girlfriend with me. We are going to go to the Virgil show at the Brooklyn Museum. Um, I appreciate you. Um, I'm going to stop talking now so Jared can shut things down. I hope this isn't too hard to edit. Um, Jackie, I hope you have a fantastic weekend. I hope you have the best weekend out of everybody listening to this. <laughs> appreciate you, bro. Uh, no, this won't be too bad to edit. Um, we can probably let a lot of this just play because it was, it was good conversation. So thank you, everybody. Um, enjoy your evening. Have a safe weekend. And we'll see you all next time. Those who have laid eyes on a Gundam shall not live to tell about it. Yeah.